You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. So this is it. This is Thanksgiving week. It's finally here. How many, how many of you guys are traveling somewhere this week? You guys, all right. Cool. We are traveling to Buffalo, where, yeah, where hopefully we can still find my in-law's house after this is all said and done. Actually, they're like, they're like an hour south. I think they got only a foot and a half or two feet, whatever. It's still a crazy amount of snow. Uh, Mel's siblings, uh, three of them live closer to, to the city, and so they're dealing with the three, four, five feet of snow. So, yeah, so hopefully they can, they have until Thursday to try to try to make it out. So, yeah. So how many of you guys are hosting Thanksgiving this year? How many of you guys are hosting? All right, cool. How many of you guys are hosting maybe for the very first time? Any first-timers here? All right, maybe. Cool. Good. Good for you. Good for you. So, according to Real Simple Magazine, which I just love the title, Real Simple, Thanksgiving prep begins two to three weeks before the main event. Some of you guys are like, wait, two to three weeks? I haven't even started. I've just given you a panic attack before we even go through our list. So two to three weeks out, preparations begin by confirming your guest list, planning seating arrangements, ordering the turkey, and creating a menu. All right, one week out, you set the table. Who has an extra table just lying around? If that's your case, one, you need to get it, you need to buy another table. That would be step one. But a week out, you set the table, you grocery shop, you prepare your home for overnight guests, and create the perfect playlist. I'm not sure what a Thanksgiving playlist even looks like, but you're supposed to create one, and it's got to be good. Thanksgiving day begins in the wee hours of the morning so that you can be ready to greet any guests that arrive early. It's not their fault that they're arriving early. That's on you. So be ready. They're coming. So you need to make sure the food is scheduled to be done on time. Every room in the house is cleaned. The turkey is roasted to perfection. You have an arsenal of stain, removing chemicals at your disposal. You know when the football games are on, and you have some conversation starters when things get weird. And oh, by the way, enjoy the day and have fun. Like, come on, Real Simple Magazine. This is supposed to be real simple. Like, this is insane. But, so I remember... Growing up, my grandmother used to host Thanksgiving at her place every year. And every year, she would say the same thing. She would say, Thanksgiving just doesn't happen. She says it takes planning. It takes execution. It takes, it takes being organized. And for Honest Day Church, the same is true when cultivating a heart of thankfulness. Thankfulness doesn't just happen. We all have this bent toward us that creating a heart of thankfulness takes work. Think about this. You're going to be sitting around the Thanksgiving table with all of your loved ones and family and friends. And even though the meal could have, could have gone off perfectly, there's one thing that you're going to think, yeah, that's not right. Whether it's they put oranges and cranberries in the stuffing again. Ugh. Or that turkey was a little dry. Or Uncle Frank was just being weird again. Whatever it may be for you. But we had this natural bent to take everything that's good and we point out the one thing that's wrong. We get this at the Olive Garden all the time. I found one hair in my food. Okay, one hair. All right, whatever. Was, there, was everything else good? No. 
Just kidding. If you have hair, don't be that person. Send it back. Please, send it back. But thankfulness doesn't just happen. It takes work. So this morning, not only that, even though it takes work, God calls us to a life of thankfulness. Scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God calls us to. This is what God wants for our hearts. And so this morning, I want to spend some time going to the book of Isaiah again, Isaiah chapter 12. And this passage is going to, is going to show us two steps to, cult, to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. So two steps to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. So I would encourage you uh, to turn in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 12. If you don't have a copy of scripture with you, uh, you can take that, that black pew Bible right in front of you. Turn it to page 576. We're just going to be able to follow along um, all together as we look into this amazing portion of Scripture this morning. So Isaiah chapter 12, we're going to see these two steps to cultivate a heart of thankfulness, and they're this. It's that thankfulness is a result of recognizing and responding to the goodness of God. Thankfulness. Thankfulness happens when we recognize and respond to the goodness of God that is all around us. So before we, before we dig in, let's take a moment and ask God to bless our time in his word today. Heavenly Father, God, what an honor it is, what a privilege it is, God, to open up your word today, to hear your voice. God, we pray, Lord, that it would minister to the hearts of our people today. I pray, God, that you would just continue to work in my own heart after spending the week walking through these six verses uh, and being reminded again of how good you've been to us and, and our call, Father, in response uh, to worship you, God, with all that we have. So, Lord, I pray, God, that your son Jesus would be high and lifted up. And as we just walk through the, these verses, that our hearts would be drawn um, to what you've given us through, through your son. God, and I pray, Lord, that, again, that our time here, that your spirit would work. And do things, God, that, that I can't do, only you can do, Father, to change the hearts of men. So we love you, God, and we look forward to just digging into uh, this short chapter in Isaiah today. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the privilege. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church, before we hop into the entire passage, I do want to bring up one thing. Um, you're you're going to see in verse 1 and verse, in verse 4 this phrase, and the phrase simply is this, you will say in that day. And so in the immediate context from chapter 11, what we talked about last week, the immediate context is Isaiah is pointing toward the day when Jesus Christ comes to, comes to rule and reign over his people again. This is, this is the day that we've all been looking for and, and living for, that day when Jesus Christ returns to earth. And so in that day, there, it's, it's prophetic in nature. It is looking forward to that day when Christ returns. And so I just want to, I want you to understand when it says in that day, it is looking forward to something. But even though, even while Isaiah 12 is prophetic in nature, it carries principles that, that we can live out in our lives today. And so I just want to get that out out of the ways that, listen, I understand this is pointing forward to something else, but in that pointing forward, um, we, we learn two things to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts now, the same way that the people of God are going to recognize and respond to the goodness of God when Jesus comes back someday. 
So yes, it's prophetic in nature, but I do believe that it is for us even today. And the first thing that Isaiah brings up, the first way that we cultivate thankfulness in our hearts simply is that we recognize the goodness of God. Recognizing the goodness of God. Church, isn't, isn't it easy just to get caught up in the busyness of life? Just to get tunnel visioned in the tasks that we have to do each and every day that we forget to recognize all that God has given to us. Kind of reminds me when, I, when, when I'm driving, especially on longer trips. Listen, I have four young kids uh, the van is normally noisy. There's things going on. And God has given me this innate ability. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But God has given me this ability to, to just blank everything else out. I can be in my own little world. And chaos could be ensuing in our car. And I'm just doing my thing. I am focused on the road ahead. I am focused on literally the car right in front of me. And that's about it. Mel, my, my wife would be like, did, did you see that deer? What deer? What are you talking about? Did you see that police officer? What police officer? What are you talking about? Like, unless it's right in front of me, I'm not seeing it. So again, for those of you driving on Wednesday or Thanksgiving morning, I'm going to be out there, so be careful. <laughs> but unless, unless our family is like play, playing a game, whether it's the ABC game or travel bingo, whatever it may be, I'm not focused on anything but the road right in front of me. But when I begin to have to look around, for signs, or look for letters, or look for different things along our way, um, things open up. And, and I begin observing and recognizing things that otherwise I would not be recognizing. Church, Isaiah chapter 12 calls us to do just that, to recognize all that God has done, is, has done for us, and is doing for us each and every day. In verse 1, it says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. See, in verse 1, the people of Israel recognized that they received comfort from God when they deserved his anger. Now, their history, they, they walked with God for a long time up, up, to, up to this point. And remember, God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. God invited them to have a relationship with him. God gave them a land to call their own. He gave them protection. He, he gave them victory over their enemies and provided for their every need. And the people of God responded in return by deciding to turn their back on him, by worshiping other gods, and really just putting them out, out of their lives. And while God had every right to be angry with them, in that day, God decided to give them comfort and blessing instead. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. How many of you are thankful for that verse? Those two verses, man. This shows the characteristics and the goodness of God. See, and here we see both God's mercy and God's grace. And so oftentimes they come together. The simple definition of, of mercy is showing compassion or forgiveness when punishment is due. It is not getting what we deserve. It is a police officer only giving a warning when you deserve a ticket. 
It is compassion and forgiveness when we've deeply wronged someone. It is experiencing the comfort of God when we deserve God's wrath. It is God withholding punishment that we deserve. But grace, the other side of that coin is God's grace is giving us things that we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding judgment. Grace is giving us those things that we don't deserve. And I love in Psalm Psalm 103, God is merciful and gracious. God withholds things from us, but then also God gives us blessing. God gives us, brings us his comfort. And really, as as we walk through this passage today, I just want to give you some questions to ask, to ask yourself this week, to, to get yourself into the practice of actually recognizing the goodness of God all around you. And so the first question that, that will help us recognize God good, God's goodness simply is this. God, where have I received God's mercy and grace? Where have I received God's mercy and grace? And I want you to think about that. I want you to take a minute and think, where have I received a blessing when I deserve God's wrath? Where have I received forgiveness when I have sinned against God? Where has God chased me down instead of letting me go further and further into sin? When has God given me second chances and thirds and fourths and fifths? When did God strengthen me in my weakness? Who has God brought into my life to remind me of his love for me? What do I have from God that I do not deserve? Church, I'm telling you, When you sit long enough to begin asking yourself this question and you go past, I'm thankful for my salvation, which we should be thankful for, church, every single day. The fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God, out of his great love for us, sent his son Jesus so that we could have a restored relationship with God. The fact that that that. The God-man Jesus, who was perfect and sinless and holy, stood in our place for our sins as our substitute, should blow our minds each and every day. But I want to encourage you not to overlook your salvation, but to continue to to mine deeper and deeper in God and, and ask God, God, where do I see your hand of blessing and mercy and grace in my life? I'm telling you. If you take the time to really ask God and really see what God has done for you, it's going to change the way that you look at him. It's going to change the response of your heart. It's going to fill your heart with gratitude in ways that maybe you haven't um, been filled for a very long time. So the first question simply is, God, where have I received your mercy and grace? God, where have I received your comfort instead of your anger, according according to verse 1? But then then Isaiah continues in in verses 2 and 3. It says this, Behold, God is my salvation. It says, I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And church... You've heard the word often there. The word salvation means much more than just eternal salvation from hell. It means anytime God brings victory or God walks you through 
an area of your life. It can be victory over sin. It can be a breakthrough in a, in a friendship. It can be answered prayer. It can be some physical, spiritual, or emotional healing. This is any time that God comes through in a way that you couldn't do on your own. But the one thing I love about these two verses, no, notice the personalness of these verses. Let me read it again. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become, what? My salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Church, Isaiah is pointing toward a time when God's people are going to experience his salvation for themselves. They're, they're, they're not going to say in that day, I've heard that God can save. I've heard that God saves others. It's no, God is my salvation. God reached down into my life when I couldn't do it on my own. And he lifted me up. And God worked. And, and God did something for my family. Or God did something in my life or for my friend. Or God answered a prayer that I had been lifting up to him. God is my salvation. There is a difference, church, when we can, when we can even, even in the statement, I believe that God can, can bring salvation to God has brought me salvation. And he's bringing us to, to a moment in time where we simply ask the second question, how have I seen God's salvation? I want you to think about God's mercy and grace and how he has given those things to your life. But the second question I want you to ask simply is, where have I seen God's salvation? I want you to think about all the ways that God has brought salvation to your life. What has he brought you out of? What needs has he met that he couldn't meet on your own? And how has God answered your prayers? Where has God brought healing? Where can I look back and say, God has become my salvation? Church, these two verses have become really evident just in our family. Over the last about month or two, there are a couple, a couple of things that, that just came up that, that, just, that just rocked us. And we, we were walking through, that, walking through that together. And in a way that we were not expecting, in a way that we weren't even praying for, God, God stepped in and brought people into our lives and provided for needs that we weren't even asking for. And it blew us away. That God came in, reached his hand down into our lives, and God brought salvation in a way that only he can do. And if we, and if we were to go around the room right now with an open mic and sharing instances where God has been your salvation, this place would be filled with testimonies just like that. Where we've seen God work, that we've seen God heal, that, we, that we've seen God work out um, and restore brokenness in our lives in every single area. God is able and God is willing to bring salvation. And when we do these things, it brings us back, this helping us remind us that we serve a loving, merciful, and gracious and saving God. A God who keeps his promises. One who gives us far more than we deserve. One who reaches down into our lives and saves us. But church, thankfulness isn't just about recognizing God's goodness. You know, you know what that 
that breeds and what that does, it helps us be content. It helps us to be satisfied. It helps us to, to trust God. But thankfulness is the result of two things. It's recognizing God's goodness, but then, but then responding to it, to actually have an outward action. It's an outward response to the goodness of God. And in verses 4 through 6, we see three ways to respond to God's goodness. The first in verse, in verse 4, it says, And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Church, the first thing that thankful people do is that thankful people pray. Thankful people pray. And you're thinking, wait, I thought prayer came before the salvation. Prayer came when, hey, I need something, God, and I'm looking to you for help. But I truly believe here that Isaiah writes this down because people that have seen God work, people that have seen God work in their lives will, will make prayer a natural response for the next time. If, you, if you've experienced the salvation of God, Prayer should be your first response the next time you need him. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we are saying that I have confidence that God will come through for me now, just as he did in the past. Thankful people pray. We pray because we believe God can work, and it shows that our dependence is solely upon him. So when troubles come, what is your first response? What do you typically do? Who do you run to? Who do you tell? It says a lot about where our hearts truly are at. But when you experience the goodness and grace and mercy and salvation of our God, prayer should be our first response, not our last. Thankful people run to the saving arms of Jesus, lay their burdens down at his feet, and trust that he will bring salvation again. Church, let me just step back and just apply this. For those of you with kids today, young kids still at home, where are they seeing you go when times are hard? Where, where are they seeing you run to when things do not go as planned? Church, I want, and I pray for my own kids, and I pray for, for my own testimony, that when things go wrong, we know that there is someone to run to who will deliver, who will come through, because he's done it again and again and again. And you may, and you may be here thinking, sitting in your seat thinking, Dave, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through right now. Let me tell you this. If you walked with God long enough, God has come through for you. And he has shown up. Maybe you haven't thought about them in a while, but they're there. Recognize the goodness of God and respond to that goodness through, through going to God in prayer first. So thankful people pray. Secondly, thankful people proclaim. Isaiah says, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. See, church, thankful people proclaim all that God has done for them. They find ways to tell others of his goodness. And I love this. Notice that this isn't for attention for themselves. 
This is for the glory of God. We've all been in testimony times and services where people line up and they, they want to share things that God has done for their lives. But man, it just seems like you don't know their hearts, but it just seems like, are you here to like give God praise or are you here to like get attention for yourself? But thankful people proclaim God's goodness not for the attention that they can get, but for the glory that it gives to their heavenly Father. And church, what I'm, what I'm encouraging here isn't, I'm not saying that we need to have testimony times and like fill the whole service up with that, but I will encourage you to do this. I will, I will encourage you to begin thinking, how can I do this with my friends in the small group that I attend, within, within, within my family? How do I bring attention to what God has done for me? For, for some of you here, it may literally be sharing how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior with your coworkers, neighbors, friends, kids, family. For some of you, it's going to be this practice of bringing up what God is doing in your life on a normal, regular basis, in normal conversation. And listen, it doesn't have to be weird. Like, please, like, don't go to a restaurant and just, like, when your waiter comes up, like, blast them with five things that God has done for you. It's just, do it normally, in normal conversation. Don't be that person. But, hey, if, and I, and I truly believe this, if we can't talk about what God has done amongst followers of Jesus who love God, then how are we ever going to do it in a world that doesn't know him or doesn't appreciate him at all? Let's start in private, corporate conversations with your family, with your friends. Make a, maybe, maybe for your family, it's making a list of everything that you're thankful for, everything that, that you've seen God do within your life. But you got to do something. Proclaim it. Make known what God has done. The next time someone asks you, why are you so different? Don't shortchange God. Don't say, it's well, because I have a good attitude or this or that. No, tell them. I'm so different because of the work that God has done within my heart. This is who I was before I met Jesus, and this is what he's done in my life since I met him. Give him glory. Proclaim the goodness of God. And lastly, verse 5 and 6, thankful people pray, they proclaim, and lastly, thankful people praise. Verses 5 and 6 says, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is a holy one of Israel. Thankful people praise. As some of you guys are getting uncomfortable already. I get it. But I want to just walk you through something. The word sing is used 157 times in Scripture. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Now listen, you don't have to go all high school musical and be a musical every single place you go and meet people. But singing is a vital part of the life of a believer. And you may be thinking, I can't sing. I get it. I sat 
I've, I've sat around this whole auditorium. I know who can and who can't. But that's all right. I love what Scripture says. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Some of you guys are just noisemakers, and that's completely fine. But we cannot get around the fact that God calls us to sing. And God calls us to praise through song. I'm telling you, this is going to look different for a lot of us. Sing and shout for joy. Some of you here can sing and shout for joy. It's just like tying a shoe for you. This is just what you do. For others of you, singing and shouting for joy sounds like you'd rather go to, to the dentist instead of actually doing any of those things. If there's a dentist in here, I'm sorry, we love you guys, but you're the worst. <laughs> and some of you, listen, we're all on a different worship journey together. I grew up conservative Baptist. Like, smiling was like going too much for me. I'm like, well, you're happy in church? No, no, no. And God has just, God has just worked on my heart over, over these years. And just continue to let me be okay with the fact that God calls for an emotional response. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to look like Pastor Mike up here. I can't do that. But... There should be some emotional response to the goodness of God. For some of you, step one literally is smiling. I see you up here. I know. There's always that one guy like this. And you, you know who you are. But there should be some joy. It's okay to smile. It's okay to rejoice and respond to the goodness of God. And that's going to, that's going to look different for everyone. But I would challenge you, thankful people praise. It should change the way that we look at life. It should change our perspective. There should be joy in our hearts, even if it's at first just in our hearts and not in our outward responses. But thankful people praise. So church, I want to wrap this whole thing up by bringing you back to the point that we started with. Is that thankfulness results when we recognize and respond to the goodness of God. So when, as I invite the praise and prayer team up, let me encourage you to recognize the goodness of God this week. You've heard it a lot. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, may our hearts, may, may we allow our hearts the time to meditate on the goodness of God. Ask those questions. Where have I experienced God's mercy and grace and where have I seen God's salvation? But don't stop there. Let it result in an outward response. May, you, may it spur you on to confidently pray to the one who has brought salvation before. May, may, may it encourage you to proclaim the goodness of God to others. And may it result in the outward praise and worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, we have much to be thankful for. God has been gracious and merciful and has brought salvation to so many of you here. Let's cultivate that heart of worship today. Church, let me pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over you one more time. Then we're going to close with one more song. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this reminder in Isaiah chapter 12. 
looking forward, God, to the day when you're going to work and Jesus is going to come back to rule and reign. But what a reminder, God, of what thankfulness looks like, of recognizing your mercy and your salvation and your grace, thanking, recognizing what you have given to us, things that we have not deserved. God, the preacher Paul Washer said, I have given God a million reasons A million reasons not to love me. But it hasn't changed your mind, God. God, we thank you for that. And may we respond through prayer, through proclamation, and through praise. May we be a people, God, that are forever changed by your goodness, Lord. May other people know it. May it saturate our conversations, how we interact with our families, how we go to work, how we go to, how we go to school, how we live our lives. God, may we live a life of thanksgiving to you today, beginning with us this morning, God. So we love you, Lord. I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and all that he's done for us, Father, all that we have in him, the hope, the peace, the forgiveness. God, and the looking forward to the day where you're going to make all things new. Thank you, God, for being so gracious and merciful. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in the name of the risen Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.